0: Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we talk about finding the value when selling structure with special guest Ninad Fertula of Bluestream. Why do so many tech pubs departments fail to get support for structured content, and what can we potentially do to change that? Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah O'Keefe from Scriptorium, and I'm here with Ninad. Ninad, you're over there in sunny Canada.
1: <laughs> oh, Thank you, Sarah. Always good to hear your voice and talk to you. Uh, I'm located in Vancouver, British Columbia.
0: So Ninad, tell us a little about yourself and Bluestream and what brings you to the structured content conversation.
1: Of course. Um, yeah, so myself, um, my role at Bluestream is uh, I guess I'm one of the two managing partners and I also manage all the business development and marketing activities when it comes to Bluestream. Um, Bluestream has been around since 1997. And uh, we initially were an XML database company and, you know, shortly after that transition into content management. So we've been doing content management for a very long time. Um, around that time that we got into this business, about 2005, Dida came about. And so what we've done is we built a, um, a product called XDocs, which is a component content management system. So, for the past, I guess, 15 years, I've been soliciting the value proposition of, of our flagship product.
0: Right. And you and I have had uh, many conversations at many conferences with uh, many drinks about, you know, the, the industry and it's always interesting to hear what you think about it. And so today I wanted to ask you specifically about what I think is yours and perhaps my number one business problem, which is why is it so hard to sell structured content at the executive level? When we go in and we're selling to potential clients, why is that so hard with the execs?
1: So I guess the famous line is to to catch a gopher, you have to think like a gopher. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bill Murray from Caddyshack. If you think about roles in in an organization, executives have a role. And predominantly they are um, concerned with growth, you know, business growth and returning shareholder value and and sometimes stakeholders as well, right? Classical product documentation, uh, you know, when we talk about structures, for example, is generally seen as a as a low-level cost center. That is necessary when you have to re, uh, you know release a product, but it's not really at the forefront of the of the business thought. So it does not generate revenue, you know, and it does not necessarily improve your organization's image like marketing does, right? Um, so that that bring is bringing in new problem.
0: leads, right?
1: exactly exactly so it's not it's not it's 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 a cost center that's the problem right so it's not a priority and it's also a low-level cost center meaning that you know there are expenses that are not overbearing essentially right so just to give an example is like when you're talking about say salesforce you know they write that check every year no problem (laughs) right whereas when you're talking about a component content management system that that is a bit of a that becomes a bit of an issue
0: So, basically, we have to show that this type of content, product and technical content, does, in fact, add value to the business. Or, I guess, maybe more accurately, doing it better adds value to the business, right? Well, we have to show
1: where it adds value. You know, I I think that's kind of key, and we have to sort of think about, you know, how, how it does that. Right. And, and so I think that, you know, I am guilty of this. And as I think many of us are in the beginning, let's just say, you know, let's roll back 10 years ago or so. You know, we're really focused on content reuse and how great it is, you know, for documentation lifecycle and improves the processes and reduces sort of publish times. And but these things are not really executives don't think about things like that. Right. So the focus really, I think, has been in the last five years to really sort of sell sell value of information um, and sort of and show also show where it brings most value to the organization.
0: Yeah, I've been warning people that focusing on cost avoidance is, you know, pretty much a straight train to the land of commoditization, right. which we don't want, actually. Right. So what about data? Is there a different argument there or is it the same?
1: well it's it's sort of worse, right? you know if you think <laughs> about it <laughs> because well, that's the problem. you know again, going back ten years, we're you know telling the world how great data is, right and, and sort of I think it frightens some people too, you know because it's it's it is great. it's it's a wonderful standard at the very essence of it it's just a technology that helps you deliver structured content, right. So executives care even less about it. But where I found the data argument, in particular the standard argument, helpful, is um, when you're trying to mitigate risk, right? Because the question inevitably comes up, you know, we're bringing this this new tool in. Are we going to be vendor bound, right? And and so here we say, well, look, you know, when you're going with something like like data, which is a standard, and not a proprietary schema, like we, we there's a bunch of them out there. No, you are essentially mitigating risk, so that is the that's to me that's the most sort of valid argument. And you can talk about you know mid, you know there's a community, there's there's a you know, sh- um, thought share and all that wonderful stuff, but it, it really comes down to can I switch the vendor should I need to, and, and, and yeah you can because you're working
0: with the standard. Right. So you have a risk mitigation, and then um, I've talked about it a little bit as an enabling layer. In that there are things that you want to be able to do with your structured content and the, you know, the people who built out DITA originally thought pretty carefully about what those things might be. So there's a lot of stuff in there that's useful if you have, you know, the typical kind of structured content. So, okay, so we know that we can do some cost avoidance. Some, you know, lower expenses, but we don't really want to focus on that too much. So what other kinds of things, what, what other kind of value propositions do we have then?
1: Well, you know, when it comes to value proposition, like me, it depends on the organization and it depends on the industry, you know, and we'll get it to the industry later on in this call. But um, the true value proposition, in my mind, has to show an ROI, right? And we we get asked for this all the time, Mm-mm in, in particular in my line of work you know when i'm working with procurements when i'm working with you know technical documentation managers trying to solicit value proposition internally it's all about so all about the roi so the, the the number one i think point when it comes to roi is is this going to have an impact on my revenue right if you can show that uh, structure or going towards structure is going to impact your revenue right you you have a pretty good argument. That's a good starting sort of point, right? And not everybody can show that. Not every industry is capable of showing that. Now, of course, you know, the second point is, as you mentioned, is the impact on expenses and reducing expenses. So it, it is about low, lowering translation costs and, you know, making making these departments uh, more productive, if you would, right? That's a big one. The third one that's really kind of difficult to quantify, third point, pardon me, is that you know, through documentation, you can enhance end-user experience with your product. Okay, and and that's a very interesting point to make because you're no longer we're no longer shipping you know 500-page PDFs. You know, we're shipping help centers. <laughs> right? You know, no, they can give you an, give give you an answer to your question. Right. So talk about enhancing you know experience with the product. You you were looking for an answer. It's there. Right. But that one, that, like I said, it's a little—it's it's much more difficult to quantify. You
0: know? Yeah, I've, I think I think you're right. Um, we've run into some other uh, sort of related things to what you're talking about. Um, I don't know where you put this, but you know, regulatory compliance and making it easier to deliver the right content that your regulatory body requires, and doing it correctly the first time means fewer holdups in your regulatory experience, right? Fewer calls from the regulators saying, hey, you didn't do this, or hey, we're not going to approve your product unless you give us X, Y, and Z. You give them exactly what is required and and accurately the first time. You talked about risk earlier, you know, in in a technology context, we talk a lot about risk mitigation as a value proposition, that if you have a, Transparent, traceable, et cetera, kind of process, you can reduce the number of mistakes you make in your content, right? And if you do make a mistake, you can fix it and be confident that it'll get fixed everywhere, which reduces potentially your exposure from a product liability point of view, right? If you ship a possibly dangerous product, you know, dangerous if used incorrectly and you don't provide good instructions, you've got some exposure there. So that's a concern. Um, I agree.
1: I agree. Yeah. And this is sort of like that, that was the preamble to, to, to the question. The answer was like, it really depends on the industry. So, mm-hmm. and that's what we've seen. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the same thing, you know, adoption of structure, you know, from these regulatory, regu- or, or sorry, regulatory driven industries was sort of much quicker. Right? So pharma, Right. They, they sort of jumped on this early on, you know, medical device manufacturers. We've seen them sort of adopt structure for that very reason early on, you know. Right. Um, so to yeah, to your point,
0: mitigation, Misc- yeah. <laughs> risk mitigation. Yep.
1: <laughs> yep. Risk mitigation. Exactly. I think that should have been the fourth point is sort of um, industries dri- driven by regulation. You know, they just have to do it.
0: And they, well, and I guess they recognize the value, right? Because they know what the consequences are if they don't do it right. For a lot of other people, the consequences are kind of squishy.
1: They are. They are.
0: So I did want to ask you about cost centers because you mentioned them and I, I sort of twitched. Because we have seen a pattern, especially recently, where you have a technical publication or information development group that actually charges their services back to the in-house business units. So if I'm, you know, if I'm Tech Pubs or whatever they're called, then every time I produce a document for a particular product line, I charge back my time or the team's time to that business unit, you know? Oh, we spent 30 hours. We spent 100 hours on your document, so you owe us 100 hours times our internal magic bogus rate. So what they've run into is that if they layer in something like structured content, or let's say they're sharing content, and so I write content for business unit A, but then I actually use that content again for business unit B. Well, business unit B, you know, pays eight minutes and business unit a pays three hours because that's what it took me to, you know, to write that piece of content, but then I reused it. So if I have better efficiency, I charge back fewer hours, which means the team gets less budget the following year. And there's no provision really to fund the infrastructure. So to fund the, uh, you know, the build of structured content or the maintenance of the style sheets or anything like that. And um, this may be an unanswerable question, but, you know, I'm looking at this and saying this doesn't work. Like this cost center approach doesn't work.
1: Well, it it sort of works for certain organizations and, and not for others. So we've certainly, especially in large organizations, this is the case. We have yet to run into, or I have yet to run into a case where, the technical documentation department has become so efficient that they are getting their budgets cut, <laughs> you know, because, um, and that's just my experience. Um, I haven't, I, I have, I personally haven't seen it. And, and the other reason too, is because just the cost, or sorry, or the demand, uh, for information is growing as well. There's, there is more information, there are more product lines. So maybe that's why I haven't, I haven't necessarily seen, seen that myself. Uh, but certainly, um, it could be a problem.
0: Yeah, it's not common, um, but we've seen it a few times, and we keep saying, "Well, you have to account for the shared infrastructure somehow." And and I think the challenge is when you move to structure, there's more shared infrastructure and less, you know, hourly billing back for. I mean, and that's what you want because more reuse equals more lower translation costs and all the rest of it. Yeah. So. So you mentioned that you know different different industries have different arguments for structure, and you know we kind of touched on regulatory and risk management, what that looks like. What are some of the other examples of that where a different industry or a different vertical might care about different things when they're looking at structured content?
1: Yeah, no, I'm actually glad that we went to regulatory first because you know the two examples that I had in mind, um, you know, I'm, I'm comparing say you know a classic sort of um you know software vendor to say uh someone like a heavy equipment manufacturer right so their arguments for structure are going to be different you know we we found anyway so when you're producing you know software manuals and you're say you have a software product like we do and you know you need you know man user manuals and and such Basically, it is a straight up cost to business to develop that. Okay, And so if we, for example, just to start with, ignore the fact that your processes are going to be better while using structure and you're going to be more efficient and all that and your localization costs are going to lower, you know, what you really need to do is you need to focus on information flow and you need to figure out which recipients of that information have the most value or are getting the most value. So in in an example of a software company, quite often we see these delivery platforms emerging, right? And that's the argument, right? So the argument is we need to go into structure so that we can have a better delivery mechanism of our documentation so that, for example, we can reduce the burden on our support organization, okay? And, you know, voila, here's your delivery platform, right? And what's interesting about that argument and what we've seen there is we've seen a lot of people, a lot of software companies actually sell structure successfully to management. And of course now they're working in Git, right? Because they can't get money for a tool, or can't get budget for it for a tool like a CCMS. But then they'll they'll it'll be much easier for them to sell uh, a delivery platform because it's outward facing, right? And the whole argument there is like, well, information flow is hey, look at look at my end user. You know, they're interacting with this documentation, with our product. Again, you're enhancing the end user experience with the product and you're reducing the burden on support, right? And that works very well for, say, a software manufacturer or, you know, software vendor, for example. Whereas if we take a look at someone like heavy equipment manufacturing and, and Bluestream is sort of really niched into that, into that vertical quite a bit over the years, they have a completely different requirement you know, and, and their requirement is much more sophisticated when it comes to delivering information for the, for the, for the use of, of this equipment, right? Well, first of all, the equipment has a long lifespan, right? And this equipment needs to be serviced. And big portion of a company's revenue or some fair portion of a company's revenue is associated with servicing that equipment and as well as, you know, selling spare parts, if you would, right? So when you look at that information flow, And you think about, well, you know, who are the recipients of this information that really matter? Well, they become this sort of service personnel, either third party or internal, who have to service these machines for many, many years. And of course, they have to sell parts. And so those, those parts and that service, or those aftermarket parts, I should say, and the service become a big part of the revenue, right? The revenue story, company's revenue story. And so when you're going into a situation like that what you're going to talk about is increasing the sale of spare spare parts okay and that has all the attention of management so I'll give you an example you know we're dealing with a very large train manufacturer and they're actually kind of worldwide and you know I was looking at their business case that they presented and we've been dealing with this customer for about 4 years but I remember the case that they presented to management it was 95% of the business case was focused on increasing the sale of spare parts, whereas 5% of the business case focused on basically incre- increasing productivity of some 70 plus technical writers. Hmm. Okay. And, and that says it all, right? Yeah. Where's the focus? Well, the focus is in fulfillment, in, in in that particular case, right? So very different than what we see, you know, in in, in the example that I gave earlier you know, like, like software, like a software industry, right? So the focus has to really be adjusted to, you know, to the industry that you're, that you're selling into or the industry that you're in essentially.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, you know, we've seen that as well, that on the software side, with, with some exceptions, but in general, on the software side, the focus is on cost savings and also on velocity, time to market. And because software, you know, gets distributed electronically. I mean, this sounds dumb, but some of us are old enough to remember the literal, we have a contract and our client is required to get this piece of software by close of business on December 1st. And if you miss the FedEx 9 p.m. deliverable, or sorry, you miss the 5 p.m. pickup, at the office, that means you have a 9 p.m. cutoff at the airport, and if you miss that, you're putting somebody on a plane at 6 a.m. to fly them to California, holding a CD in their lap so that they can walk into this business and deliver the software on time, right? That's how it worked in the olden days. And now you obviously distribute it via, you know, a patch or an electronic download or whatever, and that entire shipping process went away, and it took content a long time to catch up to that distribution mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eventually we had PDF and we could electronically distribute, but, but at first it was kind of a big problem. And so software is interested in speed, you know, velocity, time to market, cost savings. And then as you said, manufacturing really has this sort of, it's more like a two-part sale. Right, you sell the core product, but then there's this long lifespan of maintenance and updates and service and spare parts, and I mean it's just a much much different chain. Uh, we're also seeing an awful lot of companies getting into the sort of fleet management and service management. That's right. So. They actually go from being a product, like a manufacturing company, to being also a software company, because they've got the database of all of the equipment that they've sold you. And think of airlines, you know, when is it due? When is this plane due for maintenance? Keeping track of that is is actually a service. So now, the, <laughs> you know, this distinction between product and service is starting to blend.
1: Well, you know who defined that, actually, initially? Believe it or not, it was, it was Xerox. Right? Mm-hmm. Xerox is a big partner of ours, and they were for many years. And uh, Xerox, actually, everybody thought that Xerox was about copiers, right? Yeah, sure, they sold copiers, but bulk of their revenue came from servicing these copiers. Xerox actually is not a products company. It's a services company, right? So it, it's true.
0: So then uh, what about organizations where the content is, in fact, the product?
1: Yeah, so those guys have sort of, you know, what we see a lot of folks generating sort of learning content, you know, training content in particular. We have a number of customers in, in, in those fields. And they actually, interestingly enough, they've caught on to, to, to XML, I should say, early, early on. Okay, And at the time, I say early on, probably about 15 to 20 years ago, right? And And so they've paid attention to this stuff and they, for the most part, built their own systems. That's what we're seeing. You know, a lot of proprietary systems, a lot of proprietary XML. And so for them, you know, getting into structure was much easier, is much easier, I should say. And for them, you know, embracing something like DITA makes sense. The the challenge, of course, you know, becomes sort of, you know, how easy is it to, to, to use? How easy is it to author? And this is where sort of DITA, you know, maybe did a disservice to some of us You know, because it's been presented, it's so powerful and yet so complex. You know, in fact, I just had a conversation last week with someone that said like, gosh, you know, we we can't do this. It's too complicated. We're going to go with something different. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and so anyhow, you know, I know we've the the whole kind of there's a discussion around data light and all that wonderful stuff. But, you know, um, those organizations who sell content for, you know, as their primary business, they're they sort of embracing this, and they really are coming on board. I mean, um, the other one is insurance. Sarah, we're seeing insurance companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, makes a lot of sense for, for insurance. Structure makes a lot of sense for insurance. You know, we're seeing airlines embrace this. Uh, of course, that's a regulatory industry. We really are seeing an uptake in structure content. That's There's there's no question about it. I mean, uh, last few years have been, um, in my mind, sort of um, changing,
0: you know. Yeah, which sounds like some good news for all of us. And as we close out 2020 here, you know, I think we'll take whatever good news we can get. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, thank you. I I appreciate this because I think, you know, there's a lot of food for thought in here and a lot of, you know, obviously you've had not just thought about this, but had to think about this, you know, in the course of your business. And I think it's helpful to me to, you know, to chew through all these things and, and contemplate what they're like. I'm gonna with that wrap this one up. Thank you, Nenad. I appreciate it as always.
1: No, and thank you, Sarah. Thank you for uh, having us on. Like I said, this topic is near and dear to us. And should anyone want to discuss further, I'm sure they can reach us at www.bluestream.com.
0: Yeah. And we will drop that in the show notes along with some other contact information so that you know where to find everybody. Thank you to our audience for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for the relevant links.